Hi there, listener, and welcome to episode 79 of the Ski Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It might only be September, but it feels like winter is just around the corner. Firstly, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, Did you know that if you're really keen on skiing, you can ski in Switzerland right now in both Zermatt and Sassfe. It's mainly races out there at the moment, which means the pistes uh, are almost empty. Uh, and Switzerland is green list, which means there's no quarantine in either direction. And there's not much testing either if you're double vaccinated. So uh, it's out there waiting for you, Switzerland. Now, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the latest testing and travel rules, uh, revealing uh, details about how the new direct snow train is going to operate. And we'll be talking to industry experts about their predictions for the season, finding out about, a bit about Dynastar's new kit, uh, meeting the latest member of the GB Snow Sports squad and finding out if you can still work. Uh, overseas after Brexit. So that's a lot to cover uh, this uh, week. So let me start by uh, today's episode by welcoming my guest today. Joining us for the second time is Al Morgan from Ski Kit Info. Uh, how are you, Al? I'm all right, thank you, Ian. How are you? Uh, I'm well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. And for the first time on the podcast, we've got Krista Jackson. Uh, I was going to say ladies out resident, but I've since discovered it's actually Borg Doison for those who know the area uh, down in the valley, and also an area manager for Eurocamp. How are you, Krista? I'm not bad. Not bad. Excellent. Right, well, let's start by asking the traditional question. Let's find out when you last skied or snowboarded last. How about you, Al? When was that? Uh, So I've been actually testing product over the summer. So I've been skiing at Hemel Snow Centre, just outside London. And that was uh, just over a couple of weeks ago, testing some, some kit there. So yeah, really lucky. Right. Excellent. Well, you know, that definitely counts. And uh, unfortunately for most of us Brits, that's often the UK indoor slopes has been the limit to date. But Krista, I'm expecting, when did you last ski or snowboard last? Somewhere in the French Alps, I would imagine. Oh, uh, it was in Switzerland, actually. Oh, um, okay. One of my sites is, is uh, in Leiterbrunnen. Right. At the Valley there. So I um, took the chance on the day off to go up to the Schiltorn which turned out to be a bit of a mistake because the fog came right up to the very top of the of the lift. So you could get out the lift, see the sea of fog, snowboard for about 50 metres, and after that you were just in pea soup. Okay, but it still counts as time. Yeah, time time on snow. And obviously you're in Switzerland where the lifts were open uh, last season. And yeah. and Lauterbrunnen, I'm just I think when I went to Cromontana, it was sort of like on the other side of the uh, the mountain right. from Cromontana. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll have to uh, have to try and explore that. Schiltorn, there are many, many mountains in Switzerland called the Schiltorn. I think uh, the big mountain in uh, Murren is called that as well. But that that was good. And when when was that, Krista? That would have been, ooh, it was right at the end of their season, so early May, I think, early May. Right, okay. And and for yourself, you know, being based uh, in the French Alps, does that mean that, you know, when the lifts do open up? I mean, I've seen, for example, Ladies Out is due to open, if all goes well, in what we would term um, October half term. Would we you, should would go you be... for Tucson, as usual, yes. Um Currently debating whether well which which season pass to buy whether to buy a season pass. Probably I'll probably buy the desert pass again for this season. If you buy a season pass now, would it include that uh, October November? If week? you buy the early bird pass, um, I think before the end of October. I haven't checked the dates yet. Usually, if you buy the real early bird pass, you get quite a big discount. You get get about three hundred euros off, and that then includes Tucson as well. Yeah. 
Right, okay, that's quite substantial. And I, ha I did have a look on the webcam uh, at the glacier uh, in Ladies Out the other day. And there's evidently snow up there, but it's, um, you know, it's not the... the uh, the best coverage they've probably ever had. Would you have any inside information on how it's looking? I believe it was pretty good at the start of the summer. I'm not sure what the weather's been like recently, though, so I'm not sure what the, what yeah. the state of it is. But I okay. think people are optimistic for Tucson. Right. Well, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed uh, for you that you uh, get some uh, skiing. Or are you a skier or a snowboarder? Snowboarder. Snowboarding for you then. So, and <clears throat> just moving on to like the travel situation. Normally, Katie from Battleface Travel Insurance would join us at this point. She's not available today, but I'll just run through, you know, where we are on the situation uh, just now. There's been quite a few um, improvements and changes uh, since our last update. As it goes, there's probably going to be an announcement later today. We're currently recording on Friday. So, uh, therefore, I might end up, listener, you might find uh, something just dropped in at this point. But this is what I'm thinking is going to happen. We're going to see an announcement today saying that PCR tests are going to be dropped for fully vaccinated travellers. We're going to see an end to the green and amber list, so just a red list. Uh, and that's all very encouraging. I think that will probably inject a bit of confidence uh, for travellers, um, which, uh, which will help for sure. It's also possible we might see the PCR test, day two PCR test is replaced by a lateral flow test and the lateral flow test uh, pre-departure coming back to the UK might be dropped as well. So we see about all of those things. They're definitely encouraging. Maybe you might say like less encouraging, um, although it doesn't take a lot of time to get used to it, is that there might be a kind of COVID certificate required to allow you to go skiing. Uh, in Switzerland uh, and in Italy, maybe uh, in France. I went out to France not very long ago. Krista, you're there at the moment. They have the pass sanitaire. You know, personally, I found the pass sanitaire fairly straightforward to use. I mean, that's maybe because I'm double vaccinated. Didn't affect my kids at the time, but from the 30th of September, I believe that uh, children would have to have a pass sanitaire or show that as well. I believe so. Yeah, they're busy changing it because they're they're now vaccinating or offering the vaccine to children down to the age of 12. And that is the, is the requirement for a pass sanitaire from those people as well. Yeah, the way it worked when we were on holiday in the summer in campsites, we'd show our pass sanitaire when we checked in and they'd give us a band and we could go anywhere in the campsite, the pool, the bars, etc., like that. And it was suggested to me at a meeting earlier this week by someone who's well-connected in France that to either collect or buy your lift pass, you'd have to show your pass sanitaire COVID certificate and then you'd be able to take all the lifts rather than people checking it on every single lift. And that would seem to be maybe the right way of doing it if that's what happens. So uh, we'll follow that one closely. That There's not going to be any announcement on that yet, but we'll certainly find out about that by the time the season comes around. A couple of other points on travel. Austria have extended that limit on um, vaccinations. They did have a 270-day limit. Uh, they're increasing that to a year. So that's less likely to affect people uh, coming into the country for skiing. And, you know, just in general, there were some figures from the NHS uh, which showed that less than less than one percent of Amberlist arrivals tested positive uh, in the last week of August. So that's why they're looking at dropping these uh, these PCR tests, which, uh, you know, aren't being sequenced uh, anyway to test for variants or only 5% of them are. So we'll see. All of this, you know, the reason 
as a travel industry we want them to go is because they add on additional costs to make it more complicated for people to take their holidays. And ABTA reported summer holiday bookings for 2021 were down 83% compared to 2019. Now, that's a lot for summer. We know that in ski, uh, effectively last year, bookings were down 100% because no one took any ski holidays and lots of operators, you know, a number of operators went out of business and some people mothballed. There was an event earlier this week called Ski Launch in London, which I went to. And I spoke to a bunch of people from the industry to see what they thought uh, the uh, season would look, how they thought the season would look for uh, for this winter. So let's have a listen to what they had to say. So I was at the ski launch event in London earlier this week, and I thought I'd take the opportunity to talk to a bunch of professionals from the ski industry and see how they thought uh, the winter was going to pan out. I started off with Cathy Rankin from Pierre and Vacances, who regular listeners might remember from episode 76. No, I don't think it's going to be a normal season because already the season is pretty much 60% sold, which is numbers that we don't normally see until December. So provided it can operate, it's going to be full. People want to go from whatever nationality, whether you're French or Dutch or Belgian, everyone's desperate to ski again. Obviously, there's going to have to be some restrictions in resort to make sure that it happens. And I'm aware that the French resorts in particular are keen to adapt all the safety measures that they can because the last thing that they want is to be closed down again. So we mentioned that earlier in the podcast about how possibly the past sanitaire or COVID certificates will be needed to use lifts. And the next person I spoke to was Doug Newman from Ski Weekend, who was also very positive. So at the moment, exceptionally well in terms of inquiries and our, our, our sort of um, established warm-up event in Val d'Isère, which uh, runs from the end of November, and we currently are getting to the point of being well subscribed uh, to almost limits on capacity. The next person I spoke to was Hannah Zeitsch from the Austrian Tourist Board. Well, we're hoping for a very good winter season. We're all very excited and hopefully can go ahead. Um, I think everybody is very keen, especially the British skiers, and we're just hoping to be able to welcome them this season. Cool. Well, you know, I'm hoping we're going to go as well, because I had a friend who was out in St. Anton last winter who was telling me about the amazing powder and the best season he's ever had. Can you guarantee us snow as well? <laughs> I wish I could. Uh, I think we're all hoping for fantastic snow. As you mentioned last year, it has been very nice. And it has been a good season for the locals as they have the pieces to themselves. Well, this season for, for everyone then, perhaps. Yes, we are hoping to have the tourists back, especially the British ones. Uh, I spoke to James Gambrell. Again, regular listeners uh, will remember I spoke to him in great depth in episode 75. He's the new general manager of the Ski Club of Great Britain. The, the million dollar question. I mean, I certainly would say, and I feel more positive now than I have at any previous time, including this time last year, when I think there was a lot of positivity. I was probably one of the more negative voices. Um, I, I think we've had we've had a year to, to understand what to do. The resorts have had a year to kind of figure out how to make that work. And to me, short of a you know a, a vaccine resistant variant coming out of the, the woodwork, which absolutely could still happen, um, it feels like the momentum is with us. And 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 this season, I'm going to say, 
I think overall, if I was a betting man, I'd say this season will happen. Excellent. Do you think, uh, I mean, in terms of numbers, so, you know, a few people have been reporting, you know, good bookings in advance already. Yep. Ski Club Fresh Tracks programme? Yeah, I mean, we, 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 were, we were 60% ahead of our August target and we are, we are running ahead of target at the moment. We've reduced the programme compared to pre-COVID as to sort of ease back in. So it's hard to kind of gauge that. But, but absolutely, if I talk to, to tour operators and partners, they're saying the same. I think there's a bit of a split. I think the higher end of the market is booking now, and I think the, the, more, um, the more budget end of the market will probably book later, and maybe the more self-drive market will book later. So I think we are going to see a split. But, you know, talking to a hotelier in the Alps with, with uh, three five-star hotels um, in the Dolomites, and he was saying, fully booked, never been busier. Well, uh, never been busier is definitely a, a good thing. Uh, as I had James with me, I know he's done a lot of research into the industry and something that cropped up uh, during the ski launch was about the length of holidays. So I asked him whether he felt there was going to be any differences there. The last time I saw, uh, short breaks were about 20% of the market, which is significantly down from pre-COVID when it was well over 30. Longer stays from memory were up from about 11% to about 14, 15. Okay, really, really interesting. Intent is there. I mean, it might change, but intent, absolutely. And and, and I think that makes sense. And I think, again, I haven't yet seen all of the data, but again, from what I've seen, it's showing, again, that average sale price, that kind of flight to luxury, we're calling it, that sense of people who are going to go and book now are going haven't been i didn't go last year if i'm going to go i'm going to stay somewhere nice i'm going to go a bit longer i'm going to have a proper holiday and, and i think we're seeing that across the travel industry as well you know i'm hearing that from other sectors so that that's what i think will 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 happen well that was interesting for sure uh, next up i spoke to jenny nichols from ingham's I think it's going to be different, but we're really optimistic about it still being a successful season and people want to get back skiing. And it's still going to be a fun season for everyone if it, if everything goes as planned, but it's just going to be different and there are going to be some differences. Yeah, and you kick off slightly earlier than everyone else because you've got your Lapland programme uh, coming up. Yes, so Lapland starts the 26th of November, so we are starting a little bit earlier and, yeah, really popular. It's our most popular programme this year, so really really popular but even if you take Lapland up we're 15% where we'd normally be on sales. So that's another company who are up year on year and listener if you're interested in hearing a little bit more about Ingham's you can dig out my ski podcast special interview with Joe Ponte who is a CEO of Hotel Plan UK. Next I spoke to Nick Morgan who is the founder and owner of Le Ski Chalet Holidays the uh, Yorkshire based operator. I think normal is not the word. Uh, this is absolutely crazy booking season. We're, we're now 83% full for this coming winter, whereas normally we'd be 55% full. Wow. So people are just desperate to get back out on the slopes after having a, a no-ski winter, basically. And finally, I spoke to Jane Bolton, Managing Director at Erna Lowe Ski Holidays. Oh, we hope so, don't we, Ian? You know, <laughs> we are desperate to go skiing, um, and yeah, we're really excited about it, especially today with the news of the vaccinations for 12 to 15 year olds. Yes. I think that will make a big difference to us on the French uh, family market. Right, okay, and how are bookings looking for this winter then? Yeah, they're really positive. Um, what we don't know is how many of the deferred clients would have booked at this time in 2019, 2020. So we need to look at the figures at the end of the season to get a, a realistic picture. But generally it's looking positive at the moment. Yeah, I mean, we're looking, with NUCO, we're looking at our biggest season ever if everything goes according right. to plan. Right, I like those words. Yeah. Biggest season ever. Yeah. Well, what a way to finish off. 
uh, Jane saying it's possible they could have their biggest season ever and that you know is something that we've seen across a lot of those interviews there by the way if you'd like to know more about Erna Lowe we also have a ski podcast special about the founder of that company Miss Erna Lowe so also uh, at Ski Launch the uh, big event in London that uh, I was at earlier this week the official launch of the new Travel Ski Express uh, was made. And uh, if you haven't come across this listener, this is a new direct ski train uh, from London to the Alps, um, similar to how Eurostar ran it until they stopped it in uh, November of 2020. It's going to go from London, St Pancras to Moutier and Bourg Saint Maurice, but it's not going to be offered by Eurostar. It's been chartered by the company Des Alpes, who own a whole number of ski resorts. They're going to lease that train from Eurostar and run it themselves. And the CEO of the company Travel Ski, who are going to sell those seats, Guillaume de Marciac, was at the ski launch and I talked to him about how that service will operate. I'm here at the moment with Guillaume de Marciac, who is the CEO of Travel Ski. And the very exciting news we had last week is that starting in December and running through this winter, there's going to be a new train service called the Travel Ski Express. And essentially, the way I understand it is you're going to be uh, kind of chartering a Eurostar service that will go direct from St Pancras uh, to the Alps. Is that how it's going to work? Yeah, absolutely. This is, we're very excited. And this is the result of a, a partnership with Eurostar. And uh, indeed, what will happen is that on a Friday evening, our, the, the British skiers will be able to get on the train on on Friday night, arrive in Bourg-Saint-Maurice or Moutier the following morning, go straight to the resort and enjoy the seven days of ski before coming back the following Saturday. So it should be quite a blast for them, yes. We're quite excited. Well, I'm very excited about it as well, because obviously it was Eurostar who cancelled their direct service back in December 2020. And this is effectively going to add around, my calculations, about 10,000 extra seats for British people to be able to travel by train to the Alps and back. And so just to clarify then, Travel Ski is a tour operator in France. And uh, the investment to basically secure the train is from Compagnie des Alpes, who own a number of different ski resorts. So which of the ski resorts are going to be on offer in the first year of operation? So this year we are organising, uh, <clears throat> and it takes quite a lot of preparation to make sure that um, everything gets uh, smoothly and uh, that we ensure the very stress-free and best experience for our guests. So the six resorts which we are going to um, uh, get connected to the British skiers is or are uh, Tignes, Val d'Isère, uh, La Plagne, Les Arcs, Les Menuires and Meribel. Right. OK. So, I mean, that's a great selection uh, there. They're obviously all Company des Alpes resorts. And the way the tickets are going to work is it's going to be packaged. So you would buy the train, you transfer up to each of those resorts, accommodation and lift pass uh, yeah. all together. Right. Yeah. And I had a look at, you know, some of the prices look very attractive. I think they're probably going to work out quite well on the on the British market point of view. Will it be possible just to buy a, a, just a train element of it on its own? No, this would be, we're going to sell the train as part of the Travel Ski Express package, as you very well described it. On top of those packages, people will be able to add optional services such as ski rentals or those kind of things. But uh, no, the train will not be available just as a, as a 
uh, ticket only product. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I understand that because it's company designed for taking the risk. So it makes sense to direct people towards their uh, own resorts. But and it's also because we, we really are inventing a new type of uh, experience for the guests and we want really to make it stress free at a period where we are progressively getting out. Uh, uh, of the COVID crisis and where we believe that there will be a great winter uh, to, be, uh, to be lived uh, for all the Europeans and making it possible for the British uh, skiers is, is really something that we thought was a great opportunity because we know they love the ski, ski train. Well, they do. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there and a lot of research which shows that um, the, the market are interested in low carbon ways of traveling. And this is one way to resolve it that wasn't uh, existing before. So hopefully I look forward to trying it myself at some point this, uh, uh, during the season. And thank you very much for coming over here from Paris to the UK, purely for a day to talk to all the journalists here. We really appreciate it and look forward to the service this winter. Thank you so much. So to me, this is fantastic news. You know, as regular listeners will know, I love traveling by train. I am the founder of uh, the Ski Flight Free uh, Lobby Group, which encourages people to travel by train rather than flying if possible. So a new service with a capacity of over 10,000 train seats direct to the Alps is great. You know, the limiters, and, the, you know, I've blogged about this on Ski Flight Free, uh, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes, is they're not selling any train-only tickets, which I personally think is a mistake i think they could be doing this in the in the low season uh, dates they're only selling packages to six of their um cda resorts and the packages look like they're going to be well priced and i don't really see an issue with that but it kind of irks me a little bit to imagine they're going to be empty seats for a bunch of weeks during the season when they when they could have sold them but l- let me ask uh, my guest today uh, al have you ever traveled to uh, the Alps by train before yeah, I uh, my first experience was on the old sleeper train, which oh, yeah. you know they had the party carriage on, so that was interesting. Yeah. And I've also done it with what was the Eurostar, you know, just you sat in a normal seat, you get a blanket, etc. Down, and yeah, the great thing for me is there's no weight limit, so if I'm testing lots of product or taking loads of kit, then it's easier on the train. Right, that's actually an interesting point that you make because um one of the key points that Guillaume uh, made, which I don't think is in that uh, interview, is that they are setting aside uh, uh, quite a large proportion of the train for luggage. There are no luggage limits. There's no ski carriage. Um, because when they talked to Eurostar about setting it up, one of the points that came across that they had had issues with loading like that before. So they're not selling every single seat on the train. They're spreading it out to allow for luggage. And they're just working out the best way of uh, doing that. You went on the overnight kind of upright Eurostar then where you're sitting in a seat. Yeah. And yeah. that is how that is how this train is going to work. It's going to leave on a Friday night, arrive on a Saturday morning. The return is actually through the day, but it's overnight. I've never done that. I'm wondering how uncomfortable or comfortable you found it. I guess it's a personal thing. Yeah, it is okay. Obviously, it's not the same as lying out. In all honesty, the biggest issue when we used that service was getting all the kit across Paris between stations when you had to swap stations. And that was more problematic than anything else in the journey. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, this, this you wouldn't have that issue with this, yeah. uh, obviously, because this is a direct is a, train from which is a huge from benefit. London to the Tarantes. Yeah, and that that would be a huge benefit because I, I know of others that had similar situations with the previous service where you had to swap 
um, stations in Paris. Um, so yeah, for me, that is one of the benefits of the new service. Yeah, I mean, I guess for you because you're taking a lot of skis. Personally, I don't, I just don't see this uh, issue between changing from Gardenor to Gardenor. When I do it, you know, I normally have a like a backpack and uh, like a Decine roller bag, and it takes me. 25 minutes to get across town it's so straightforward uh, to do um krista let me just ask you have you ever traveled by train to the alps i haven't it's something i would be open to if i was considering options i prefer train travel to fl- I, never, I, I don't like flying it's not it's a way of getting somewhere it's not a fun experience in itself but for me as well, the issues would be with luggage and schlepping it across Paris. I know it is reasonably easy, but it's just such a pain. I, I think you told me in the green room earlier you've been out by coach before back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I learned to ski at Hill End in Edinburgh and on school ski trips to the Alps with um, what is now ski bound. And I can't remember what it was then. Schools abroad. From from Scotland. I mean, that, that I thought it was a long way when we went from, I think, Birmingham <laughs> at university. I thought that was long. Uh, yeah. So you, how long does it take you to actually get to Calais but, or to Dover before you even you know, started yeah, the was, uh, continent? That was the best part of a day's trip just to get to the get to the south coast. I don't yeah. I think I've, I think I've just kind of wiped my memory of the full horror of it. I mean, two days. <laughs> <on the> coast. <laughs> but we didn't think much of it at the time. It was just it was all part of the whole thing. Those are the days when, yeah, we were looking, budget really did mean uh, traveling on a, a budget. And that's how I managed to get, you know, I was a student, managed to get a couple of ski holidays in a year, partly because we were going by coach and it was uh, super cheap. And partly because I ended up working out that if you're on the organizing committee, then you could get yourself a free holiday as well. Uh, and that, you know, my time at university being on the ski club led to me wanting to do a ski season, you know, immediately afterwards for my gap yard, as uh, to older listeners will understand that reference. In terms of recruitment these days and doing a ski season, it is, you know, a bit more difficult uh, than it used to be. Uh, you know, Brexit has caused huge challenges for recruiters of seasonal staff. And, and Krista, you had to deal with this very early on after Freedom of Movement ended when you were recruiting for the summer season. Okay, could you tell us a little about the challenges and how, you know, you or Eurocamp uh, tackled them for the summer just gone? Well, I think initially we were looking at the options around work permits. And I think it became fairly obvious fairly quickly that that was going to be quite difficult. Uh, we were flat out refused in, for example, Spain and Holland on the grounds that the skill set that we were looking for, they could get locally. Our area manager team started work before the end of last December and therefore were eligible straight off for withdrawal agreement residency. And it also became obvious after, I didn't think this would be possible to get withdrawal agreement residency if you'd previously been on uh, posted worker contracts. But France certainly has allowed us to do that. So we um, got a lot of our returning staff on board with that and we've helped them through that process. Now, I suspect that in the coming five years of their temporary residence permit, that will they'll fall away, a lot of them. No, most people didn't ever intend to emigrate to France, which is effectively what we've, we've had them do. So I think a lot of them will work a few more seasons for us. Then when it comes to applying for their permanent residency in five years' time, we'll, we'll not bother. The people uh, you're talking about there are regular members of staff who spent a lot of time on the continent anyway you must have also had to recruit people just for the the summer season itself 
all of almost all of our recruitment is summer season, but we have a lot of or we have had a lot of staff who come back to us regularly over very many years. I've got a couple, for example, who are on their fifteenth season with us. So we do tend to hang on to certainly older staff for quite a long time. And because they'd done seasons with you before, it made it easier for you to to get visas for them to employ them. Uh, they went. They, they are now on. They're on German work permits. Those two. <laughs> right. Um, we got four work permits in Germany. I only have I only have four British staff in Germany, so we got four work permits with relatively little hassle. But applying for work permits is a different procedure in every country, and they have a different attitude in every country. So it's it's uh, you have to do it case by case, which obviously makes it much more complicated. So I I spoke to a number of um, or a few recruiters at the ski launch event early this week, and uh, you know a couple of them were you know a bit more positive. I mean, you had people like Ingham saying to me, right, we're only looking to uh, recruit EU staff, but a couple of other companies had said that they've gone through this process where you have to advertise your job in a in a French job agency for you know eight weeks or whatever it is, and then if no one suitable applies, then you can recruit someone else and apply for a work permit for them. It sounds pretty complicated but those are the hoops you got to jump through right yes that's that's basically the story though that that's the initial process and then after that there's a application i think uh, as i understand it the member of staff has to apply for a long-term residence visa the employer then applies for a work permit it's quite a long-winded process and obviously it's um it's more labor intensive for us as well so for example this season I think uh, our French parent company actually recruited an extra member of staff just to deal with all the UK recruitment stuff. Right. That's a classic example of <laughs> of bureaucracy around uh, Brexit, um, mm. you know, making things a bit more uh, inefficient. I guess the positive side of things is that employers were telling me that the, the French in that Tarantes area being quite uh, supportive and the uh, Savoie and the Haute Savoie being quite supportive and making it uh, easier for them to to go through these hoops. I guess for yourself, you're covering quite a lot of France. It's not you know, a really localised area focusing on one particular type of tourism. Yeah, this is this is the case. We're um, we're very much all over France. A lot of this sort of stuff would go through local, low, more local authorities rather than a central national um, application process. Yeah. So it's you're dealing with different um, different organisations or different branches of the organisation. Before you know joining Eurocamp, did you do ski seasons? Did you work ski seasons? Yeah, I worked ski seasons for oh various people. I started with Ski Miguel ages ago and did one season with them. I've done a lot with schools operators, ski bound, ski um, ski plan, hotel manager, and uh, resort manager. Where, whereabouts? Mostly Alpe d'Huez des Alpes, down that direction. And then yeah, I did five so... seasons with a ticket sales person for um, des Alpes Loisirs. Al, what about yourself? Did you work ski seasons at all? Yeah, I was in a very small, a very, pretty classic French resort called Valmenier, which is linked with Valois, which more people might know. So, yeah, yeah. And I absolutely loved it. It was fantastic. Right. Who were you working for there? I was working for a coach company, Snow Coach, who had a hotel there and their clients would travel out by coach and travel back by coach. And then it also meant that they typically got a couple more days skiing, so eight days skiing. Yeah. Yeah. So therefore, did you uh, trial the product yourself? Like, like us, have you done the coach out to the Alps before? Yeah, I've done, I've, I've, I've been out of the Alps on the coach from the North of England where I grew up on a minibus loads of times for other sports. And then yeah, out to go skiing on the coach as well. Everybody that was working for them went out by coach. Yeah, well, I, actually, that was how it worked on 
all of my seasons when I didn't have a car as well. The whole staff went out by a coach. And interestingly, I think, uh, you know, some of the employers are leaning back uh, towards that or putting their staff on the train because they are looking genuinely to try and, you know, minimise their emissions. And actually, it's a way of positioning themselves for staff as well by saying, well, you're not going to fly out. You'd think notionally, oh, flying out would be great. But again, part of it is when you go to a season, you've got huge amounts of luggage to go with you. Yeah. And it's often not feasible to uh, fly anyway. Um, Al, perhaps we can um, segue then to uh, a little talk about kit for this season. Um, in the last episode, we featured your review of the uh, Faction Dictator 3.0. Uh, and uh, when you were on before, we talked about the uh, Alan Voyager ski. Uh, what would you like to uh, talk to us about today? What have you got for us today? So we're looking at Dina Starr's Peace and All Mountain Skis for men and women for this winter because they've okay. gone through a, a load of naming changes like many brands. They're carrying over quite a few models. But actually, Dina Star's got quite a lot of new stuff in their piece range for men and women for this coming winter. So do you want to give us an intro, give it, give us an idea of uh, you know what's on the cards? Yeah, absolutely. So bizarrely, even though it's not a major anniversary, 1963 was the first year that, that Dina Star released the ski. And they're reflecting this in the naming of their men's piste skis. So all of their piste and all mountain stuff's been brought in a group with their race skis, and they call it S-Line, their speed line. Yeah. Um, so I tested a number of models in those. Now, there's some that some of the listeners may know. So what is the now Speed 763 was the really popular Speed Zone 12 Ti from previous seasons. It's unchanged apart from a new graphic, which looks absolutely fantastic. It's awesome. Uh, but that ski is brilliant. It's got tech that comes from their ski class athletes. So okay. the, in the side of the ski, they use multiple vertical layers. So the outside plastic, which is the same plastic as, as Lego, ABS. And then they have a metal layer and then a, a dampener, a rubber layer. And it makes the skis incredibly smooth to the edge. It's They're a joy to ski. They were when they first came out around five years ago, that technology. And they're still brilliant now. Um, and can, the, I, can I, can I yeah. ask then? So, you know, it used to be called the Speed Zone 12 and now it's the yeah. 763. That 63 is in there. As relating back to their founding in nineteen, relating back to that nineteen sixty three, and, and, and is the ski small. actually really any different from skis they had before? That technology you're talking about there is that is that new? So that isn't, but they do have another ski, the Speed nine six three. So again, referencing that nineteen sixty three start year, and this is new. So it's a mixture in the core people often know that skis have wood in the core this also has polyurethane in the core they call it hybrid um so when people think about a synthetic core they think it's really soft and, and you know a bit dull but these skis oh my they're in the the energy you get out of them is absolutely incredible and they use this tech in their race product as well and then on top of that core they put a layer of metal that's full width underfoot so loads of grip which then tapers out over the edges, you still got that feed into the turn through the front of the ski, but it keeps the weight down. And they're really agile, really nimble. They are brilliant for advanced level skiers, but because of that slightly softer nature front and back, actually your upper intermediate can use them really well. Um, they're not, you know, they're not intimidating, but the more you put into that ski, the more you get out. And it just makes you want to ski harder and faster mm -hmm. and be a better skier. It's awesome. Well, I think everyone wants to be a better skier. <laughs> that's yeah. Cool. That's a piece ski, right? The, that's uh, a pure piece ski, yeah. Quite thin underfoot at 68 millimetre. Quite a tight turn rate. It's like a slalom ski. 
but yeah, a brilliant firm snow performance ski. Okay, excellent. Well, what's uh, what's next on their uh, list for this year then? So it, that they're the kind of upper end of the for purely on groomed snow. And if you want to take a bit off the side, so they've had the four by four name for a while. It was the speed zone four by four, and now it's called the speed four by four. And the rest of the naming reflects the piece key. So the top end is the speed four by four nine six three. Right. And then the one below is the same start, but then ends 763. And then they've got some models below that. Okay. I think I'm working out. So if I go yeah, to the, high, exactly. the higher shot now, I know that uh, nine is better than seven, right? Or Absolutely right. So the higher that first number, you can almost ignore the 63. Um, yeah. But yeah, so nine's the top of the range and it goes all the way down to threes and twos. Yeah. And the four by four, speed four by four model, this is an all mountain ski, is it? Uh, yeah, absolutely right. Still brilliant for on piece. That's who they're aimed at, but they're shaping. So they've got a little bit more lift through the front. So if, if listeners know what rocker is, they kind of almost bend up through before that spoon at the shovel helps in that variable snow off piece. On piece that helps feed in the turn. So the other piece skis still have a little bit but it's longer in the four by four range and they're wider underfoot at 82 mil. And they're brilliant. These are unchanged from last year, apart from the name and the graphic. And that, yeah, that nine is brilliant, but the seven level is an absolutely incredible ski for a whole broad range of skis from intermediate okay. through to experts. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and, and how do these come in in terms of price then? If we look at the piste skis, and this is with the best binding on the SPX 12, which is their performance binding, then the 763 is £595 and then it jumps up the 720 for the top level nine. And moving across to the four by four range, um, you've got more expensive in the nine at 680. And then you can bring that price down to 525 in the 763. Okay. And sorry, is that excluding bindings that's with bindings now there's with binding bindings. options on them so there's a, a more economical nx binding or the more expensive performance orientated spx binding yeah but the impression i get then is that you know you like this set of uh dina starsky's uh how they're coming out piece and all mountain for this winter then <laughs> yeah i think just the basic thing look wise they're reflecting the race skis they're using the red and blue and, and black graphic and it sounds like a little thing but they look a lot better than previous seasons and the standout skis in the piece range are that speed 963 and actually surprisingly in the all mountain for men was the 763 and the same in the in the ladies skis it's a very similar ski in the four by four right and it's the seven level in the four by four for women, which is their top end one, which was the standout model for us in the ladies piece range. So that all the ladies skis begin E. So it's the E line we were testing. And actually one of our testers, Sally Bartlett was blown away by the E light seven. And it's absolutely incredible. It's a slightly wider ski at 74 mil underfoot. But what was really amazing. She can push skis really hard and delivers at the top end, but how accessible it was for lower level skiers who may not have the technique, have the body position. It was really easy to use. So if somebody's developing their carving skiing, that Elite 7 for ladies is brilliant. Excellent. Yeah, this is really useful to me because, <laughs> how, because 
you know i'm i really don't I, you know i know quite a lot about skiing and ski resorts and things like this and i know very little about equipment you know i haven't owned skis for years i normally just uh kind of uh, hire them and uh, just getting a you know more of a feel for it so hopefully listener that's useful to you as well and uh i'm gonna ask if you can come back at another point uh al to give us further updates on on products as it comes out for this season hopefully you'll be able to do that i would love to Excellent. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's move on. Also at the uh, ski launch in London this week, uh, we had a panel about the Olympics and I had Graham Bell and Emily Sarsfield uh, join me. And we're just discussing with the industry and journalists uh, some of uh, the exciting uh, elements of the team uh, looking forward to Beijing 2022 coming up in February, less than uh, five months now, I think. And earlier this week, I had the opportunity to uh, interview John Allen Butterworth. I don't know if you guys have uh, heard of him, but he has won four medals uh, at the Paralympics in cycling. And he's now transferring to snowboarding with the aim of competing at uh, Beijing 2022. So let's have a listen to what he has to say. I started by asking John Allen what brought him out of retirement and back to competing again. I kind of yeah, just had six months of, you know, kind of self-reflection and I kind of started missing sports and I started missing kind of the competition side of things, not just physically, but, you know, I really enjoyed the the, the competition, the nerves, the the prep, you know, I, I really liked the athlete lifestyle. So I kind of, um, you know, was, was thinking about what other sports, you know, could I do or would like to do? And snowboarding was one that was one of the main ones at the top of the list. And it's purely because I, I, that was my first rehab activity I did when I lost my arm, it was, it was snowboarding and it was kind of, I couldn't do snowboarding much because of cycling and the risk of injury. And it's kind of, yeah. it's almost like full circle back to my start of my rehab journey. And it's, it's something that I really enjoy. And I kind of, on one hand, I didn't want to do it at first because I didn't want to, you know, almost like kind of fall in love with it again. And well, I, I didn't fall out of love with it, to be honest, but I couldn't do it get serious again and then kind of find it, it, it like a job um cycling became a job at the end everyone that liked cycling was you know a perfect job you know i'm jealous of you but like anything in life it becomes routine and you have a lot of days where the spectators don't see the, the graphs you put in they only see the kind of the, the glory and it's a lot of hard work to kind of get that moment on the top step so i kind of want to protect snowboarding as for just enjoyment but then I kind of the the program and the way when I spoke to kind of the coaches and kind of started to put the feelers out, they kind of reassured me it was a quite a what's it called a relaxed program. Um, you know the the, the snow sport in itself, um, apart from alpine skiing, apparently, um, is more kind of laid back. You know they have fun. The the goal is to kind of get the athletes to have fun, and generally the performance comes from having fun. Jane Cavana, who she she was the um, the kind of power side of of the program. And I've known Jane quite well from the Health Heroes days. She was involved in Health Heroes. Pat Sharples, I know well, and we've interviewed him on the podcast uh, before. And, you know, listener, you can track down the uh, the special we had with him. But it is very interesting. So in terms of snowboarding then, you know, you did that as part of your rehab. Um, and, you know, I guess we should we should clarify. I mentioned at this point that you served uh, you know, in Afghanistan and uh, Iraq. And I think I'm right in saying that you lost your left arm um, in a rocket attack or left arm below the elbow in a rocket attack. Is that right? Yeah, so I lost my arm in Iraq. Um, it was, a, I think, originally below elbow amputation, but it's, it ended being the above elbow through infections, uh, complications. Right. And, and are you snowboarding as part of the, the rehab from that? 
But there's a surely a massive step up to end up, you know, competing at an international uh, level. Were you quite good at snowboarding? You know, how do you make that jump up? Or is it just that if you're such a good competitor, you can get medals at the uh, Paralympics in another sport. You have those base skills that you can then take forward into snowboarding. Uh, yeah, so kind of I'm transferring, uh, starting my kind of GB snow sport journey and it's enough to snowboard and it, it, I'm part of like a talent transfer program and it's not kind of um, a Paralympic program. It's it's across Team GB and Paralympic GB. It recognises that elite athletes have certain skill sets. Um, you, know, you can break it down from, you know, sleep hygiene to nutrition, uh, S&C, you know, obviously in the gym, uh, the athlete mindset, knowing how hard it is to get to the top, um, sacrifice involved. The amount of things you learn is in one sport, um, that's, that's one side of things. And then you've got similar muscle groups in cycling to snowboarding. A lot of this summer training is actually cycling and gym for snow sports. So yeah. there's a lot of cross kind of um, muscle memory involved. And in essence, the only thing I've got to learn, which I know is the main part of it, is the technique around snowboarding and the changing conditions, which is going to be a challenge compared to cycling, which is a very controlled environment. It, it, they basically say that kind of there's a you you, you fast track through the sports and it takes less time to kind of get to the top of which they reckon five years um for somebody to kind of be competitive um i'm hoping to do it in two or three you know I, I've, I've done i've put in my in my head two seasons and i'll be up there in in, in top tens uh, you know at the very least and i'll be challenging for the odd you know the odd medal performance i think in two seasons we then shifted track and I asked John Allen about his experience on the uh, reality show The Jump, which we, uh, we loved here on the podcast, but sadly is no more. The, the Jump was kind of a mixture of everything. It was, yeah, a predominantly a, a ski kind of programme. You had between three and four weeks of ski training, uh, but there was other disciplines. There was there snow skates, there was obviously bobsleigh, skeleton uh ski jumping and there was also snowboarding as well which was uh i think a new one the year that i did i think i did a year two um so yeah it, it was a bias towards skiing but we probably did about three to five days worth of snowboard training as part of that and did like a little mini race down the slopes um which is yeah. quite funny I, I think they kind of made sure we didn't get as much training as we should have got because they like seeing falls and snowboarding falls are quite spectacular and it hurts and stuff. I think they kind of didn't want anyone to get too good because it makes good TV to fall over. Well, that's exactly right. It did make good TV. But sadly, one of the reasons I think it's not on the screens anymore is too many people did fall over at different points and yeah. get too many injuries. Yeah, at the time, it was such an entertaining programme. Did you enjoy being part of it? Yeah, it, I, I thought it was a great programme. Um, it, it was like I said, it was... Uh, I kind of saw all sports as almost like a, you know, it's a, it's a holiday. It was it's a program itself, but it was just like I can't believe that they're inviting me onto the show, pay me a a, a celebrity appearance fee to go on and just ski. It's kind of a, it was it was just a big holiday. It was great. It was it was so much fun and I learned so much and especially kind of the the sliding events. I mean, you, you can go on a ski holiday, but can you go on a, a bobsleigh holiday? It's, it's kind of those experiences that you generally <laughs> no, can't to be buy able to do those you know, things because yeah. actually earlier i watched a video of you doing the skeleton which to me mm. looks absolutely terrifying it, it, it kind of was a lit originally because I, I don't think there's um much information online and i think we came to the conclusion that i might be the first above elbow amputee to go and do skeleton because i had to develop a prosthetic to go and do that and, and yet it was that uh, I, I didn't know how to hold on to the sled there was the experts were 
well, you normally do this, but you can't hold on two hands. So you got to try and grip with your arms, but it was, we didn't know what was going to happen until run one. And it's, it's like, um, the sliding events and a bit like the ski jumping It's those are the sports where you commit to the top and you're in it for the ride down. You can't, you can't bail out halfway down the run. You just have to go with it and just hope, hope for the best. So with a new snow train, some Olympics chat, uh, skis and jobs in the Alps, there's a lot to look forward to uh, for next winter, particularly if uh, those changes in travel rules go the right way. Uh, I'd just like to close by thanking uh, Andy, who uh, his username on, on Apple Podcasts is Sailor Missing Snow. He gave us a five-star review. And this is what he said. I've enjoyed your podcast for a couple of years now. After attending a natives jobs fair, I ended up doing four seasons in Val d'Isere. Uh, I really enjoy being kept in the loop with the Alps and also hearing about more random ski locations uh, around the world. I work at sea now and I've listened to your show in most oceans and even on the Northwest Passage. Uh, thanks, Andy. Well, you know, that I really love that because it refers back to, you know, my previous life when I was uh, doing natives, but also the idea that, you know, you could be anywhere in the world and uh, and listening to uh, ski chat. So thanks very much for that, Andy. And, you know, I do appreciate all uh, feedback about the show. So yeah, email me at ski podcast at gmail.com. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. You know, that would be great. It helps other people find us. We've had 83 reviews on iTunes now. 70 of them were five star. I was listening to one of Russell Brand's podcasts the other day. And he said, uh, you know, only review us if you're going to give us a five star review. So I'll back up that policy. Uh, Don't forget, you can listen to the ski podcast on Spotify as well. And if you know someone who's excited about ski season, then, you know, just share it with them. Uh, And don't forget, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash ski podcast. All cuppers are much appreciated. We've also got a few stickers left. So if you'd like some for your ski board, helmet or phone, uh, drop me an email uh, or contact us via social with your postal address. Now, coming up in our next episode, well, to be honest with you, uh, actually, I don't know what will be coming up in the next episode, but there's a lot going on in the lead up to the season. Uh, I'm going to press events with Val d'Isere, Les Trois-Vallées and Austria before then. So make sure you subscribe to keep up with the latest news about the sport we all love. Uh, but for now, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today, Alan. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. And Krista, thanks very much. Thank you. And finally, I'd like to thank you, listener, for sharing your time with us. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.